I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Our customer feedback was that things weren't as uh, accurate as they needed to be. All of a sudden, instead of trying to be a regular moisture, a high moisture, a low moisture, we're like, well, let's just stick in the middle and aim for a 0.5 water activity. We're not in any brick and mortar store yet, uh, but we're the number one selling dried fruit on Amazon for the past four years running. 2020 has definitely been uh, a challenge. We came into the year kicking and screaming. I want to make it to the end of the year and not be broke. Water has been called the luck of the planet by Daniel Burston, and its impact and significance are evident everywhere in the foods that we eat. Every year, billions of dollars are spent by food manufacturers to move water in and out of food products. As a food scientist, I am on a mission to understand how this can be done better. Today's guests are Jake and Kay Samuel of Sunrise Fresh. Sunrise Fresh is a multi-generational family farm. As food producers, measuring moisture in their products has historically been a challenge. That is, until they discovered the power of switching to water activity as their primary measurement. From improving long-standing product lines to developing new snack combinations, Sunrise Fresh is all in on water activity. So let's catch up with Jake and Case. So something that I'm interested in is, you know, what's it like growing up with a with a family business? And as you both are growing up, did you picture yourselves um, being a part of this business, or or when did that happen for you? Case, are you laughing at the question? <laughs> yeah, uh, I. I when I get this question, I, I can't help but laugh. Um, most people ask, like, how in the heck can you work for your mom and dad and have your two older brothers as your bosses? Well, um, I never pictured myself working for the family business when I was going through high school and college. Um, mm-hmm. I was playing baseball for that was that was going to be my job. That was going to be my life. That was going to that was what I cared about and. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the big guy upstairs decided that I was not meant destined to be a major league baseball player for the Giants. So I had to make a decision to come back home to the family business, and they welcomed me with opening arms. Um, mm-hmm. I actually started farming for uh, the first three years when I came home, but after that, I realized uh, I was had a knack for sales and associating with people and creating new relationships. So I stumbled on my way down here to Sunrise. And uh, now the rest is history, I guess you could say. Um, so to answer your question, Zach, no, I never imagined myself working for my family companies. <laughs> and uh, what about you, Jake? Uh, when honestly, you I wouldn't trade for anything away. Yeah, what well, about for, you, Jake? For myself, um, I've always thought I'd be working on the farm working in some capacity in some way or another. I always thought I was just going to be a farmer, but it took a while for me to realize kind of that my uh, attributes are not only in learning about what what kills a bug on a cherry and what disease is that cherry tree have, but it's uh, a lot more beyond that. And mm-hmm. I kind of got thrown into a lot of this in a sense of where like my dad always said like you go to school learn how to run a business not how to farm i can teach you how to farm and that's exactly what i did so i kind of got i mean i got thrown into this is that thrown into making they're running running the company in a sense and making sure things are going the way they should be and mm-hmm. and helping helping uh everything move right along uh and i think uh growing up between case zach and myself we've always kind of known we'd work together 
and it's definitely a challenge. Like there's days that we definitely don't want to be working together, but uh, at the end of it, we always can laugh, joke, and have a beer at the end of the day and, and be okay with one another. Uh, but it's but working with family is definitely a challenge, and I think our dynamic in the family is is strong enough that we can get along, get things accomplished, and and move forward with what we need to get done. But it's sure. definitely not easy. Yeah, I actually have a, a few brothers myself, and I, I can't really picture uh, working with them. Um, but I think there's <laughs> there's a lot to be said that you guys are working as a family unit, and that you are you know able to reach your goals. And and what are some of those goals that you're focusing on? for this year i want to make it to the end of the year and not be broke <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i think i think a lot of us are in that boat <laughs> <laughs> yeah 2020 has definitely been uh, a challenge we came into the year kicking and screaming ready to conquer the world we had a lot of big projects moving and it's definitely been met with a lot of challenges and case can really talk about those more than i can but it's definitely moved from a very positive year in a sense we were going to be in a lot of different markets and a lot of different attributes and now it, it's gone back to like okay what shifts do we need to make what needs to keep the the ball moving forward uh, while continuing to maintain our current business and current customers make sure that they're they're going to keep uh producing what they need to produce with our products mm-hmm. um and then even on another sense too on on the farming side of uh, things uh we've all had to sit back and take a look at our, our production costs and farming costs. And we got to kind of like with everything being as depressed as it is, it also puts commodity prices on, on a, the other side of it too. It makes things a lot much more difficult to mm-hmm. really figure out how to make a profit when everything else is being thrown at you, when your costs are still the same and going up, it makes, it makes trying to make farming equitable that much harder. Right. Uh, but but that, in a sense, though, that's what being a farmer is. Like you're dealt with every different scenario you could probably think of in, in a year's time, and some people deal with in a lifetime. So it's, if anything, it's just nothing really new for a farmer, but it's definitely a new, a new challenge that everyone's trying to conquer with. Right, uh, definitely a, a new landscape. And in case, why don't you touch on some of the other challenges that you've had to overcome with with this pandemic you know things from sure. suppliers to staffing to operations mm-hmm. distribution what what have you yeah. seen from your perspective well uh jake's job is to be johnny rain cloud he brings everyone back down to earth and make sure <laughs> that we're all on the right path and moving forward um, uh-huh. i'm in sales so my job's my job 80 percent of the time is going into his office and say, hey, Jake, I got this great new deal, but I need you to make X, Y, and Z products for, and I need it in two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So, but that's, that's, that's the perks of my job. But no, sales has been interesting this year. Uh, just starting off with staffing, um, trying to make sure all our employees stay healthy and we're able to meet demand and meet ship dates. And um, mm-hmm. it gets really uh, interesting when you have one employee show up one day and they're fine. The next day they show up and they have a fever. You know, it's, it gets like, uh, I mean, heck now I have my whole sales team. When someone coughs, like you look at it, like, you okay. <laughs> like, it's, just one of, it's just one of these new things you have to deal with nowadays, but you know, with the new intricacies moving forward, um, I think this is really actually gained about a 400% increase over the last two and a half, three months of people shifting from buying food in the store to online. 
And I really think that is going to mess up a lot of different channels. Uh, people normally go to a food show, then that food show, you're in Costco, Walmart, and Target. And from there on, you're good. But now you have Amazon, you have Hubba, eBay, I mean, Thrive.com. And these disruptors have really um, thrown a rift through the industry where people like, like for Sunrise Press, for example, we're not in any brick and mortar store yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're the number one selling dried fruit on Amazon for the past four years running. And mm-hmm. it's really um, allowed us to bring a different aspect to meetings with customers instead of just saying, hey, we're this new and unique product. <clears throat> but no, I have analytical data of from Amazon's analytics of who buys my products, how old they are, what their annual income is, where they're at how they found us, what they're using it for. I mean, mm-hmm. instead of relying on your distrib- on your distributors and Unifier Kehi uh, to just say, hey, yeah, you're selling good, but now you have complete control over that and you have the ability to go around them directly to consumer. And that's the future right. of our industry. Um, and it's it's looking pretty positive. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of information at your fingertips by using those mm-hmm. um, online uh, sellers. So... Yeah, it's exactly. really interesting to see how this pandemic is is causing people to to look more online. And exactly. for a company uh, like you guys, who sells a lot of product online, I'm sure you're mm-hmm. seeing increases in sales um, using that direction. Um, one thing that I, I want to shift our attention to is is focusing on the water in your products. And mm-hmm. I'd like to learn more about how moisture has been measured in your products in the past. You know, how how w- would your father, your grandfather look at this measurement and, and what problems uh, would they have in the past um, with respect to moisture? What, like what our grandfather did in the past, like in the 90s, it was kind of arbitrary. He just stuck some cherries in a dryer and dried it down to where he liked it. And that was about all she wrote. Mm-hmm. And then when we started working on this um, uh, for commercial use and selling to different customers when they were requesting different moisture level, levels from 20 to 22%, for example, it, it, we had to really get scientific with it. And and the Dried Fruit Association has a great uh, moisture meter that's been used for decades in the prune and raisin industries. So we were using um, that technology, and, and that is a very simple system to where it would give a, a number of, uh, it would reflect off a, a certain electronic wave uh, variance in between two electronic nodes with a ground product in the center of those nodes and it would then in turn point you to a graph and then that graph would be like okay this these are cherries well there's no graph for cherries so it's prunes okay prunes are close enough all right so prunes <laughs> prunes show this number and that number okay gives me 28 percent. okay great it's 28 percent moisture cool let's move on mm-hmm. and then we got to the point of just getting so frustrated because it never seemed to be accurate. Like it, you felt like it was, but at the end of the day, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, our customer feedback was that things weren't as uh, accurate as they needed to be uh, for their own records too. So then we, that's when my dad started researching different moisture detectors. And that's when he, we stumbled across you guys mm-hmm. and we purchased the Aqualab Duo, I believe, in 2013. And in doing that, it really opened our eyes up to what water activity is. Like, we had no idea what water activity was, but even before uh, meeting 
and talking with you guys. Uh, and over the last course, the last couple of years, uh, we've noticed water activity being more of a importance, even more so than moisture has been. And by making that switch to water activity, what types of improvements um, have you seen in your production? And how are you using that water activity data on the production floor? We've been able to really shift uh, towards water activity since it, it became kind of more of a consistent number that we could focus on. Uh, every time we said we wanted 16, 18% moisture, uh, we sent it to two different labs and we get back three different numbers from both labs. And, and then even our own numbers would be something different. So I've been, so the water activity really became more of a concrete number since those always seem to be closer to what our third party labs would be, be sending back to us and even what our customers are starting to look for. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely been a learning process. And I think even some of our customers that have professional food scientists on staff don't really understand the full, the, the full aspects of what water activity really can show. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, I'm not a food scientist. I'm merely just a cherry farmer in some days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to convey that to some customers, but they're starting to understand it and, and work with it. And so, mm -hmm. like, for example, like we have one customer that wants uh, our low moisture product. And we know that low moisture product is going to be at 0.58 water activity. And so we consistently can hit that 0.58 water activity on the plant to the point where our plant operators know that uh, on Scala, after the report, after the sample gets taken on Aqualab, it gets put onto Scala. They can look right at Scala in live time and mm -hmm. see where that water activity is and make adjustments in the plant uh, to make sure that we hit that water activity level because that water activity in any given lab or any one person will say, no, that's 18%. No, that's 12%. No, that's 10%. Well, water activity is pretty hard to lie. So if we can mm -hmm. show that we're going to consistently hit 0.58 water activity and it works for our customers, then I really don't need to know what moisture is. If I can hit that water activity day in and day out, customer likes it, then I, I'm, we're doing something right. Yeah, one thing I, I wanted to touch on that you mentioned is, you know, a lot of food scientists, even though they have heard of water activity, or, or moisture absorption isotherms, they, they don't really put it into practice sometimes. Um, I, I've seen a lot of industries where moisture content is just the standard and because that's the way it, it's been done for decades, uh, there's sometimes some hesitation to, to using new newer technology or, or looking at a, a different way, um, such as water activity. Do you see other dried fruit companies making the shift similar to the, the shift that your company made? Some aspects, yes. I think the the more that it gets out there and, and the more the world is kind of shifting towards more technology too and more accurate numbers and more accurate recording, more accurate lab results, uh, they're, they're definitely seeing the water activity, I think, going towards being more uh, reputable in mm -hmm. that regard. I, I I think in the time that I've been working with the water activity and working with meter group, we've definitely seen more people being educated on the water activity side from our customers and even other companies that deal in dried fruit. And mm -hmm. it's, 
I, I definitely say it's it's heading there. Case, have you seen that from your side? Because for this, like our, our a lot of our chocolatier companies use use low moisture fruit anywhere from eight to twelve percent. Well, we know what moisture content we need to be at to hit our ranges, mm-hmm. and when it comes down to it, it from a sales standpoint, if I can know if one of my clients needs a low moisture or high moisture, I can trust that my production team's using that to its best extent. Mm-hmm. And water activity is just, it, as soon as I've come to explain it to a lot of my clients, they, they don't even use uh, moisture anymore just because it's so precise and we can replicate that over and over and over again now, mm-hmm. um, which has become, made my job a lot easier instead of when it, when the fruit, when our dry cherries get shipped to a client and that client does their own uh, water uh, moisture test and it comes back at an 18% and then we, and they wanted a 14% moisture. I always ask them, well, what's your water activity? And well, mm-hmm. my water activity is a 0.54. It's like, you're right on the money. It's just like, did you, it just all depends on how they ran their personal test. Did they crush right. the food beforehand? Did they shred it? Did they just run whole? It, there's so many variances and so many different ways of doing this. Um, I just, I, if the whole industry could just switch to water activity, uh, that make all of our lives a lot easier, I think, and also make our specs that much more accurate. Right. Yeah. Moisture content tends to be all over the board. You usually have, you know, a few percentage um, in in standard deviation. So it's really hard to know. And um, what what I've known or what I've noticed with a lot of different companies like yours is that uh, by using water activity, it really gives you a standard and it helps you when you're talking to other companies to, to make a, a comparison um, that is valid. Um, one thing that I, I want to ask you about Case is I saw you posted uh, something today or just yesterday about some new products that you're working on, a, exactly. a new product line. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about that and, and maybe how water activity was considered when you put that product together. It's actually, water activity was pretty vital in our new uh, snacky line. So, yeah, cases and joke. Water activity was uh, huge yeah, with this project. Mm-hmm. So the San Joaquin blend. Um, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we're fourth generation family farmers, and uh, for the last 60, 70 years, my mom and her and her mother before that have been eating cherries and walls together, and we've been drying cherries in our family for a long time now, and They've always just ended up on our family table, just mixed it into a bowl. And mm-hmm. California walnuts and dry cherries go hand in hand together. The starchiness of the walnut, the sweetest of the cherries, just melds really well. And my dad mm-hmm. and I were sitting there eating it one day at my mom's kitchen table, and I was thinking to myself, like, we need to make this. Like, we this needs this. More people need to eat this. Mm-hmm. And um, that just led to me going going down the pathway of like, okay, what is it going to take? How is this going to be happening? Maybe put a little salt in there. That salt kind of ties it all together. So that's what gave us San Joaquin blend. Um, the name behind that, San Joaquin County, that's where our family farms are. Cherries and walnuts are both grown in San Joaquin County, and it just kind of fit. It uh, really worked with the whole family nostalgia uh, effect of our brand that we want to push to our uh, customers is that we're not large or laborious. We're little likable and lovable. We're just a small family company. And um, we put our heart and soul into our products. And turning to, towards the development of it, it was a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be because I was like, 
my dad would always roast the walnuts and we'd take our dried cherries mixed together and it wouldn't last me any more than a couple hours at the family table. But if I'm going to make a shelf steady product and combining a dry roasted California walnut, which has a high oil content to begin with, with a dry cherry that isn't a little pebble that has a lot of moisture in it still together and get a six month shelf life out of it turned to be a huge process that took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. So looking at it from that perspective, we learned in our shelf, uh, uh, shelf life tests that a high moisture cherry with a water activity above a 0.6 would actually wick away moisture into the walnuts, causing the walnuts to go rancid. So, mm-hmm. uh, we had to do a lot of research behind that with our cherries and water activity. The moisture is what we're aiming for because I didn't want to use a low moisture fruit because low moisture fruit that we use for our chocolatiering doesn't really taste the best when it's standalone by itself. When it's a rub of chocolate, it really works well. Um, but standalone, a low moisture cherry, you're kind of just not on some dry jerky, dry beef jerky or something. It just doesn't really work too well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we still wanted to be in between moistures there of about a 0.56 water activity. And it took a Jake and Eric, uh, our head of uh, food safety here, a long time to figure out where we needed to be at. All of a sudden, instead of trying to be a regular moisture, a high moisture or a low moisture, we're like, well, let's just stick in the middle and aim for a 0.5 water activity. Mm -hmm. And because whatever our moistures came at, they never were the same. But that 0.5 worked out beautifully. And now we have a six month shelf life on all of our nut products or nut snacking products. And it's uh, been pretty vital mm-hmm. uh, to our, these new projects using meter groups technology. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah. Water, water activity is a, a huge driving force for moisture migration. And this is a project we help a, a lot of people with at meter is helping them to understand, you know, which way moisture is going to move and, and how water activity can be adjusted to keep the desired textures that you're after. Um, it's three o'clock on a on Tuesday afternoon and I'm looking at a picture of this new product now and uh, it's about <laughs> snack time for me and I, I wish I had one of these <laughs> to snack on. So I, I might be reaching out as a follow-up to, to see if I can uh, sure, score no problem. a few bags. So. Uh, Jake, do you have anything to add uh, to that production process or or any other new um, products that you're working on? You know, not necessarily. The the San Joaquin blend uh, we're pretty excited about, uh, and I think it's going to be a pretty good hit for uh, some snacking, some healthy snacking. It's like it's a fun, different trail mix that doesn't doesn't have chocolate M and M salt throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's something new and exciting that I'm pretty pumped about and case hit the hit it right that it was uh, definitely difficult and didn't realize the the need of water activity be, between both products not just the cherries it also was the walnuts too that we need to be focusing on so mm-hmm. it definitely was a fun project and it's and it's still in the works like we're not out of the woods yet because uh, it's going to be a continuous um learning experience as we continue this thing out for our production uh further production so mm-hmm. uh it's definitely an interesting uh, project. And then another thing we, we have had for a long time and, and are still moving more towards uh, trying to get out into other stores are our uh, snack bags from the cherries, blueberries, uh, and peaches and apples, pears, trying to get, like, instead of seeing, like, um, Welch's fruit snacks in a, in a bag, I 
like to see dried fruit in a snack bag in stores. So keep an eye out for that. Those are on Amazon too. If you have any uh, desire to check those out and leave a nice little comment, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just want to thank you guys um, for being a part of the second episode of Water and Food um, and for sharing a little bit about your family company and some new products and, and explaining how you use water activity. I'm After this conversation, I'm pretty hungry. So, uh, and, and, and I'm sure the listeners out there are as well. So thanks again, Case and Jake. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.